The following is part two of a two-part podcast, so if you're interested in understanding what's going on, make sure that you're caught up on the previous part. Why? Because that's how you make money. Investments, investments, and investments. So part of the glass deal coming down was people, now every bank is subject to the Fed. Everything is subject to the Fed, and keeping it low is good for everybody. Keeping it low wouldn't be good if you had savings and loans. So my point is, I want the average person who doesn't want to put their money into an investment bank to not have to. But now you have almost no choice. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm almost not. No I'm not anti Glass Steagall at all. I'm. I am not. I, not to speak. I wasn't. You know, I was barely alive. You know, back um, when this was even. Um, mm -hmm. This was even repealed. But I, you know, I, so I'm not concerned with that. I just the, the issue that I have is that it seems like. Interest rates have been kept low, which has led yeah. to a growth in our economy, and poverty yeah. is decreasing. So it seems like the main negative externality for keeping the interest rates low has been accommodated for, and we get all the benefits of a more no, robust the, economy. No, the, the poverty rate was going down before 1999, and we were still growing. We grew hugely after wait, World the, War wait, II. The feds have controlled and that the interest, interest rates weren't, weren't crazy low. Wait, the Fed has controlled the interest rates since before 1999. I know, but the interest rates weren't crazy low back then, is my point. You're saying that they're low now. Yes, they're low now, and they weren't low before, and poverty's been going down for decades, and stuff's been, we've been growing for decades. We've still been growing. It's not like all of a sudden, when the interest rates went down, that we all of a sudden started exploding. We've been exploding for a long time. The biggest increase is not because of interest rates. It's, be, it's the low interest rates have not only assisted, have not only assisted in making things worse, they've also assisted in consolidation. Why? Because now, because you can go into debt, it's much easier for you to do mergers and acquisitions. Wait, the people... government yet again screwed up and decided that we're gonna make all these rules to hurt these rich, big, rich companies. They decided that in 2000 after Enron and said, we're gonna make all these rules. So what did the rich people do? They did two things. Number one, they went to Toronto, and the Toronto Exchange exploded because you can go public in Toronto a whole lot cheaper than you can in America. So that was the first thing they did. So they made the Canadians wealthier. Thank you, America, for that, I guess. But the second thing they did is they decided to go into debt and to buy companies. Now, for those of you who may not know this, I don't know how, how savvy your audience is. Uh, sorry, Bosch, I don't know how savvy your audience is. So I'm just going to cover it in case they're not. I don't know who well, I just who, who I, I feel like we're acting a little tangential right now because I'm concerned oh, about the me, relationship please. that you're implying here. Um, I'm saying that when when they the companies decided to now raise a bunch of money because they want to raise money, and because interest rates were so low, it became very easy to simply purchase other companies. You buy out other companies, you overvalue them on purpose, so that you can instead of borrowing ten million dollars by company, you borrow thirty. You give the owner five, so he'll shut up and go away. You take the company. Now you have twenty five million dollars. You then sell all the assets of the company because you didn't want it anyway. So you dump all the assets, keep any IP that you like, keep any talent that you want, fire everybody else, and you put $20 million in your pocket to grow your company, and you carry the debt. Servicing the debt is minimal because the interest rate's so low. So you can carry debt like that for the next 10 years, and who cares? Okay, that just assists in growing more, more All things. of the externalities that you're describing right now are things yeah. that we can accommodate through policy. But the benefits that we've gotten from lower interest rates have been objectively beneficial to the average what living policy? standard of the American. Wait, hold on. So our GDP has increased massively. Lower interest rates means people are more able to um, 
uh, 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 to invest. People are more sure. able to, the economy has grown, more wealth is coming into yeah. the country. And the problem yeah. is, the problem is that normally that would lead directly to an increase in the wealth of the average American. We don't yes, have that, but, it but it's not, but it's not because mm -hmm. of low interest rates. It's because we have historically low tax rates with a deliberately obfuscating tax code that we do not work to address. The problem here is not the interest rate. The problem is that we allow corporations to exploit the existing interest rate. If you have a problem with corporations engaging in mergers and consolidation and monopolizing and uh, yeah. not paying their fair share, the interest rate is not the target of your antagonism here. The, the target of your antagonism should be pretty clearly a set of political and economic policies that have been invoked over specifically mostly since Reagan with the deliberate intention of allowing these corporations to give away with whatever it is they want. One of the issues that I have is we have such a clear antagonist in this situation. When we're, when we're talking about, say, for example, the repeal of Glass-Steagall, or we're talking mm -hmm. about the 2008 um, financial crisis, or we're talking about all of the economic issues we deal with today, when we're talking about the overconsolidation of wealth, there is a clear and present antagonist. As a socialist, yep. I get to call them the bourgeois, which makes me feel very fancy. But generally speaking, it's the consolidated interests of the wealthy and entrenched economic classes in this country. Their motives are clear. Their influence is clear. But to me, when you start talking about the Fed and you talk about the interest rate only in the negative effects that it has and not in its positives, we obfuscate the issue. And in a way, we play cover for the corporations that are responsible for this sort of policy. And that's the concern that I have. If we want the average American to live a better life, we need to mm -hmm. raise taxes. We need to introduce harsher anti-monopolization laws. We need to bring back uh, Glass-Steagall. There are things we know we need to do. I don't know if antagonism against the Fed really plays into it because the lower interest rates do have other benefits. And we also know, by the way, that if we run our economy to a position where people are more interested in saving and less interested in investing, whatever negative externalities that may have, that means that our country will be overtaken by China faster, which could end up, among other things, leading to the uh, US dollar being less influential in global trade, which would then have severe negative externalities for our market forces and for the average American. So I think it's in everyone's best interest that we find a way to redistribute the wealth that we have, benefiting from those low interest rates without relying on some, 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 I don't know, this, the, the belief that returning to the way things used to be will fix our problems or will fix our inequalities. I, I, I don't want to return to the way things used in, to be. With I regards to interest rates, saving and what have you. Oh, that part. Yes, I'm sorry. So in, guilty as charged on that one. Yes, that I want to go back to. I do want to go back to people being able to save normally in a savings and loan to be the normal thing. The American people should not be so much in debt. It's a bad idea. It's just not good for every person to be in debt so much. That's why one of the reasons debt? why we collapse so fast. Second, why are they in debt? Because our culture says it's okay to have debt, so we do it. We just go on our credit Wait, card, and we buy more, and fewer, we buy more, and we buy more. Fewer Americans own their houses today than they did yep. 80 years ago. It's not yep. overconsumption that's leading to debt. It's price raises. It's education. It's medical debt. 
It's housing prices inflating because NIMBYs don't want additional housing built in their neighborhoods. This is true. The reason people are indebting themselves isn't because people are being irresponsible with credit cards, or at least that's not all of it. That's definitely a part, but it's not all of it. It's in large part because many of the critical elements of what we consider to be American culture have become obscenely expensive. But that will not mm -hmm. get fixed by raising the inflation rate, or sorry, by raising the uh, interest rate. That'll only make them more inaccessible. We need other systems to address these uh, price imbalances. So I, I guess what you're trying to say is you, you don't you instead of a bottom up answer, you would prefer a top down answer. Top down. I'm is trying the government. to create a bottom up answer, which means I can still get services that people need without having to tax them by having corporations still pay for those services, as you're saying. But they voluntarily buy things that they want versus me trying to tax them. And the reason why I'm so scared of taxing, taxing them is several reasons. You, you just said you want to, like, tell big companies to pay you more so the federal government can pay for the bridge. Yeah, That sounds them. like top-down to me. No, the government is beholden to my will. I'm a tax-paying citizen. I no, vote. it isn't. There's no data to show that's true. Wait, yes, no. there is. Wait, do I get to vote no. on what Coca-Cola does? No. Yes, by not buying Coke. Yes. No, no, no. That vote with you your wallet. No, that you doesn't do. wait. Wait, that doesn't work. Nobody votes with yeah. their wallets. People buy what's convenient no. for them. Why do you think that entire thing uh, uh, about diversity training? Why did Coke have diversity training? Because it makes them look good. Thank you, because we, as a culture, can affect them. Yes, no, we wait. have more effect on Coke than we do our government. Wait, no, 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 no. Wait, hold on. First of all, wait, 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 first of all, government institutions have also had diversity training. For, they've been doing it for longer, by the way. Second know, of all, Coca-Cola cashing in on a trend that uh, Robin D'Angelo has started uh, does not mean <laughs> that they are suddenly beholden to the will of the people. Third of all, that uh, diversity training was not brought about by public backlash or will. It was brought about by a collection of contractors who make their money by convincing CEOs that they'll be less likely to get canceled on Twitter if they can teach their uh, their 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 employees about neo pronouns, but that isn't a yes. bottom up procedure. That isn't us voting with our wallets. That's just standard corporate virtue signaling, Wait, and they've been doing it so, for centuries. So you're telling me that being afraid of being canceled on Twitter, as you said, they're more afraid of being canceled on Twitter than being attacked by the government. Wait, no, they're Wait, hold on. Coca Cola has spent. Coca Cola has spent millions on lobbying and on preventing taxes from being raised. They That's spent why how many afraid. thousands on a PowerPoint? No, they're more afraid of the government. Everybody's they more afraid of the, the government. government. No, no, stop. No, this is irresponsible and highly reductive, okay? The idea Damn that me. the average American citizen has more control over the behavior of a corporation than their government is not true. In addition to the fact that we have systems of transparency for the government that allows us to analyze their behavior and actually directly hold them accountable, we also have, additionally, the fact that they are directly beholden to us. Boycotts don't work. Voting with your wallet doesn't work. There are a few examples of effective boycotts in American history, and they're usually localized or in industries where it's possible for there to be a stopgap or a bottleneck, like yeah. the Alabama uh, busing boycotts back during the uh, civil yeah. rights movement. Examples like that function. But when there, there has not been an instance, in, as far as I can remember, human history, where a corporation has been brought low by unethical behavior without the arm of the state weighing down on them. The state is the only thing that can reign in corporations, nothing else. So that is the only thing we can do. Now, corporations, as they stand today, control an enormous amount of American political and economic you know, society. Yep. The only way we can rein them in is with strong tax policies in a government that is beholden to the people, which is why 
as unfortunate as it is, I think that the existence of a strong state is the only way we can ensure people's freedoms right now. Because the idea that we're going to get corporations to fall into line by buying or not buying their products is just not true. Coca-Cola has funded death squads in Latin America. Nobody cares. These news stories, they, they run through the paper. Nobody pays attention. Nobody cares what they do. Because, because why? What? Because it happens elsewhere. It happens in the, the global south and developing world. It's, it's they export all of the horrible things these corporations do. They bring the wealth home, and that's all people see. This is just, we can't hold them accountable through public willpower. Um, wow. Did, did you just say, so I'm clear, you just said the only way we can, I'm going to paraphrase, so if I'm strong wrong, state. please tell yeah. me I'm wrong. With a strong state. Yeah, right now, absolutely. Don't you call yourself libertarian? Don't yeah. you self-identify as that? Yeah, because I care about freedom. And right now, the state is the system by which we can ensure our freedom. Yeah. The absence of the state would only allow us to be uh, taken advantage of. I do of not want to get rid of the state. I've not said that. I'm going to be clear. Some, some libertarians are that route. I was very clear up front. I'm not about abolishing it. I'm not. The reduction of the people... state. The state is pathetically weak right now. What does the state even, what's, what influence does the state even have in our lives? It right literally, now? literally, we, we had to wake up in the morning and look on the news to whether we can go outside and go to our work. And? Tell me what entity is more powerful than that. Well, we literally had to decide whether I can send my kid to school or not. Tell me what entity is po more powerful than that. Not even the church can do that shit. The church There's can close no itself down. The government me. can close its institutions down. And the government also has the right to influence policy with regards the to the government opening can and closing shut down order. churches. It yeah. did. That's not its institutions. The, yeah, good. It exists. Yeah, well, it exists on the government's land within the government's property. By existing within the, the United States' borders, they exist knowing that they are subject to laws of the United States. I think that the government hey, should I'm have been sorry. much harsher what, what, with the lockdown. What law? What law? Help me with this. What law says that a state government can decide, you know what, Larry Sharp, you can't go to work today and feed your family. You can't do that. I don't remember a law that said that. And maybe I missed it, but I don't remember that in the Constitution. I don't remember that in New York State law. All I know is our assembly in New York State, and I can only speak for my state, so I, this may not be true in the states. My assembly decided to surrender the rights of what the people want and instead just give our governor magical powers to do whatever he wants. And he did it. The government has the right to shut down businesses and institutions for public health reasons. And that is exactly what they have been doing. They can shut a restaurant down or they can shut a building down if they feel that okay. it's uh, infrastructure. I'm not saying you're unsafe. wrong, but you just well, said you the asked me what law. Weak. So I'm telling you, those are the laws. The government has right. the right to shut down facilities. I love it. So government has the power to do everything. So how can you say the government's weak? You just said the government's weak. Because the government's most because powerful entity in the, in the planet. Because first of all, we didn't have a federal COVID lockdown. We only had statewide ones, which means there are plenty oh. of states where COVID just ran rampant. The federal government didn't really take anywhere near of a strong enough action. I would have invoked war powers. Second of all, the government does anything nearly enough to rein in the corporations. Corporations are the ones that run rampant. They do most of the damage to our economy. They make most of the money from our economy. And the I government agree. is very concerned with things like, say, for example, in Alabama, whether or not trans kids can get health care. They have power in that respect. But they seem monumentally weak when it comes to challenging the economic interests of corporations. That is where I want them to I be strong. No, no, I agree. If, if you're talking about specifically corporations, I'm with you. I mean, they don't because I think they're almost the same. I, I don't see much of a difference. I see the revolving door of corporate lobbyists and, and, and you know, members of our Congress, members of our Senate. I mean, I see the revolving door. The people who write the laws are corporate lobbyists. 
those are the people who are writing the laws. Then they get tweaked here or there by somebody within the office of, you know, some congressman or some senator or congressperson or some senator, and then that gets, you know, put out as a bill. But capitalism elevates the, the democratic will of the, uh, of the wealthy. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. But how can you say it's not powerful? Well, no, it is, but the, the power, if, if then if we're to be specific, the power is being misused. The power is being directed incorrectly. The American government has the power to do three things exactly, okay? Kill brown people abroad, tell people within our own borders that they can't have sex Very with other groups of consenting adults, and uh, tell corporations uh, that they are free to make as much money as they want off of the land, resources, and labor of the people within here. That, and also imprison people. And Oh, you know what? And uh, pardon me for forgetting. The, the government has power to do many things, but the yes. greatest check to government power, the only thing they're really afraid to tread on, would be corporations. That's where they're consistently weak. On everything else, we have an unrelentingly powerful state. But on corporations specifically, we tread lightly. We wear kid gloves. And it's very, very painful. And I think that if we could tap into the wealth that we have let sit on the table for decades in this country, we would be capable of doing a tremendous amount of good with it. A lot of the weakness in this country, by the way, comes from an unwillingness for our politicians to not just act in the behalf of their people, but also to act with any coherent semblance of intellectual integrity, the Republican Party especially. Again, I think Trump should have invoked the War Powers Act. I think we should have had a full national lockdown, which we probably should have done and probably would have led to far fewer people dying than what we have currently today. Um, Strength but, but in let me some go, instances. Go back to the point of, of what you're trying to say, if, if I get it right. Mm -hmm. You want people to be free, and it is your your view that a strong centralized federal government is the best opportunity or best chance for that to happen. But then you've just told me how the government doesn't do anything well. And I look at, you know, I, and I look at corporations. Mm -hmm. And while corporations, large corporations, let me be clear, I make a big distinction between small business and multinational corporations. And not everyone does, but I do. And I think that small business is the number one way that we can have any success in this country, rebuild our nation, rebuild anything whenever there's a problem. A strong entrepreneur middle class, in my personal opinion, is the best answer for that. And I know people would fight me on that, but that's what I think is the number one thing. But I, large corporations have basically become the government in my view. They're, they're, they're hand in hand in every case. We, are, we don't have capitalism. We have crony capitalism. That's what we have. That's this what we do. This is capitalism. But then that's what it is. That's what we have. That is our current system. It is a corporatist system right now. And so why in the world would I want to give that more power? When I've given it more power in general, look at what government runs. I want the state to government have the power schools. to suppress the corporations. That would fix the yes, problem. Yes, but why would it? Right? Why would it? Right? Well. If I tax it more and I give it more money, right? A dog, if a dog wants to chase a cat, if I make the dog bigger... It's still going to chase the cat because if I give a dog something, it's still going to chase the cat. The I've got to stop it from wanting to take the cat first, don't if I? If the government taxes corporations more, it's being made more powerful because it's weakening corporations. The more money it siphons off the top, the more it grows strong and the more the top grows shorter. So in that way, strengthening the government would make corporations weaker. Additionally, I'm not just a libertarian. I'm a libertarian socialist. It's not just... Okay. It's not just about giving the government more power. It's about explicitly stripping corporations of theirs. And the government, as far as I'm concerned, only really needs to be strong because we have such a problem with corporations in this country. The only reason that I think a government is the solution to these problems rather than decentralized mutual aid networks 
or rather than, um, you know, uh, NGOs that are operating like in a community basis or rather than like cooperative structures is because corporations can dominate all of those systems effortlessly through the capital they've already accumulated. Unfortunately, the state is the only system that can reasonably be used to ameliorate that power imbalance. And at the moment, I think taking money from corporations would be a good way to start because we can use that money to some good. It's not like when money goes to the government, when the taxes get raised, a hundred percent of it goes to the military. There are initiatives that are done with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, it's not perfect, not even close, but right. some good is done with it. And I think that we're actually in a really unique time right now because public opinion is shifting. Nobody likes corporations anymore, not properly. Everybody realizes mm -hmm. they're getting shafted some way or another. And I think that as that sentiment grows, there's going to be a greater and greater demand on the part of the American people for the government to really step up and take its proper role, that is to say, its role in regulating commerce for the good of the people, which it has utterly failed to do since the death of Delano Roosevelt and sometime thereabouts. Uh, and I think that would probably be what I mean when I talk about strength. Well, how about if I gave you a, an alternative? Mm -hmm. And instead of an alternative of the government physically trying to currently break up with its boyfriend or girlfriend right which is what you're actually asking you're asking the government to break up with its girlfriend or boyfriend which it might do i'm not saying it won't do it but i'm just saying that's really hard to do or would you rather instead create an environment to where the small business owner the little guy has an advantage and now they can grow from the bottom up and i'll give you a small idea of what i brought up that you might to give you a, a an idea of what i mean Sure. I had an idea for New York State to create a law in New York State that if you decide that you are a small business owner and you will sell only within New York State, that you would be immune from all federal regulatory bodies. Now, for some businesses, that's not realistic, but for some it is. So you only have to worry about state uh, bodies, and that's it. No federal regulatory bodies at all. And if you did that, then you'd have an advantage over the larger corporations which have to follow all the larger rules for larger things. So giving a small business an advantage, small, and if they want to stay small, they can, but if they then want to explode and get bigger and better and stronger, then they would have time and prepare to deal with all the new regulations that be required for at a federal level. I'd be cool with tax this breaks for small businesses, but I feel like if you got rid of... Um all federal regulation for single state operation. You would, you, I don't know. There's probably some federal regulation that not every state has, like child slavery or something. I, I just don't yeah. want to see somewhere in Wisconsin, they're like, oh, don't have to follow those anymore. And then we see like nine-year-olds in the, in the coal mines. But tax breaks, yeah. I'm fine with. Though, and it must be said, small businesses are by definition less efficient than big businesses. If we reduce the power that large corporations have, if we encourage people to start buying local, buying small, that will decrease the purchasing power of the average American. Is that something that you'd be willing to shoulder? That people should be wait, able wait, can to- you, Can you say that again so I can be clear on what you're asking? Stuff's cheaper from Walmart than it is from a mom and pop, you know? The economy of right. scale makes it a lot easier for people to overconsume from mega right. businesses than it does from sure. small businesses. Is that something you think that you could accommodate for, or is that just a price of returning to a more economically no, ethical system? No, we do it now. I use the example in New York State, right? In New York State, a couple years back, we actually um, kind of reduced regulations on brewing. So alcohol regulations, which we shouldn't have anywhere near the amount that we have already. And the second we did that, we had a massive brewing industry pop up within New York State. Local breweries, home brews all across New York State. It's one of our, our, our best industries prior to the COVID lockdowns. And it was very common for New Yorkers to walk into a bar 
and to on their own decide to pay an extra dollar or two for a beer that was a local brew that I wanted. So I don't have to decide on that. I'll let the individual people decide if they want to spend an extra dollar for the beer. And, you know, they can if they want to. But would I make a rule of law? No. Would I be prepared to open up an environment to allow them to do that? 100% yes. What if, if you, you want to spend 25 cents for your crayons at Walmart or 75 cents at the local, you know, Vouch's store, Vouch's store, fine. Up to you. I don't mind. Well, the problem is they, <clears throat> we had that decision and mom and pop stores lost all across America, especially in middle America, where there aren't as many places to buy stuff from. We mm -hmm. had those decisions. Walmart opened up shop in these places and they did what yeah. they do to crush competition. They underprice. Yes. They can drive all these small businesses out of business and then they raise their prices back up to their standard afterwards. It seems like yep. without some kind of perpetual government assistance, there's no way small businesses can survive in the long term. Unless we're talking restaurants, which will always operate on a local level because you can't supply sure. chain distribute like cooked pizzas. There's, you know, it's different in that space. And no, you know, no, like I local bars. That. That no, 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 you're actually incorrect that. Franchises have already fixed that one already. Franchises have found a way to make even that happen. Restaurants go out of business and the owners now become the manager of the Domino's or the manager of the Denny's or the manager of the, the friendlies or whatever is the thing. So I think even that even works against restaurants. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, even with franchising, I would still consider that even if it's only owned by one person, it's still like big business because you're adherent to rules yeah. and regulations given down by the parent company. Um, yes, and just, most it, franchise owners own more than one franchise. It seems like the inevitable consequence of economy of scale is that small businesses are no longer going to exist, or they can only exist in some very narrow industries, or as like in very walkable areas in like Old Town or Downtown, where people tend to have more money because they come there after they're done with work or whatever. Which is unfortunate because small businesses definitely have that high personable element, but. At the yes. same time, it's that ruthless capitalism that has made our country so economically strong, which means that if we forego that process, eventually, probably within the next decade, China will overtake us, which I, I don't know what your feelings are on that necessarily, but it's definitely something that I'm concerned about. No, the, the, my point being, and maybe that wasn't a good example for you, I don't know if it was or wasn't, my point being, if I'm going to use the power of the state in some way, I would rather not try to have the state fight its its lover in an attempt to try to break that marriage up when I'd rather simply put a hotter person out there for them to go to instead. I'd rather create more options for them. I would rather, if I'm going to use the power of the state, then How I should it use it. better for the average to, citizen, though? I think it would, and here's why I would say that, so you're clear on my logic behind this. If you want, and for those of you who care, um, I actually did a, a presentation on poverty at Queens College about two years ago. So on, you can Google Larry Sharp Queens Co College Poverty. And I did a, an hour and a half on libertarian solutions for poverty. And one of the solutions, not the only one, but one of them is more of an entrepreneurial mindset within poorer communities. You know, I grew up in a poor community in the South Bronx. And how did we get out? We got out when I was a teenager because my mother used to clean houses. And, 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 um, and offices, and my father was a DJ on the side. Entrepreneurial spirit, extra work, our own little businesses on the side. I helped clean the apartments when I was a kid. I guess that would be the part of that child labor, slavery thing you were talking about. I guess I was part of that. So I did that as a kid, and that's how we made money. Entrepreneurial spirit was a big deal. We, and when I was in the Bronx in a kid, as a kid, girls would be braiding hair on the stoop and making money for it. 
Now, New York State, that's a license. It costs you $20,000 to do that. When I was a kid in the 70s in the Bronx, cabs didn't come to my neighborhood. So we had gypsy cabs. Some guy would paint one side of his door a different color, one, one door of his car a different color. We knew it was gypsy cab, and that's how we got around. Now you can't do that. You have a medallion now, or they try to beat up Uber or beat up um, Lyft now in my city. We're doing everything to crush the entrepreneur, and I think one of, and not the only, but one of the ways that you get people out of poverty is an entrepreneurial slash ownership mindset that a government any, can assist with that. How can any of them compete with big businesses? Uber now reaches pretty much every part of every major city. Um, yep. Yeah, we, so like, I, I feel like the opportunities for like entrepreneurial spirit have really been squashed by the, um, the expansion of these mega industries. And also yes. like historically speaking, the entrepreneurial spirit has never been a, a sociologically reliable way of ameliorating poverty. Usually it's stuff like food stamps, WIC spending, social security, that fixes poverty. But at the end of the day, only so many people can be employers. Most people have to be employees. And as long as wages are kept low, that's not going to do anything for poverty long term. No, I'll touch two pieces of that. The first one is, yes, you're correct. But most of that, the reason why the entrepreneurial spirit has been trashed and been so hard is because government and its lover, big business, has gone out of its way for, to have regulatory capture to ensure that small businesses can't survive. That's the reason. Government and their lover corporations have done that for decades. Then aren't we and both when that fighting happens the lover? for decades, it makes it happen. We're both fighting the lover then. I want to tax corporations more, which is against big corporations' interests. And you yeah. want to uh, prop up small businesses, which is also against big corporations' interests. I yes. feel like you're proposing an alternative that's been less proven to work, but also involves the same institutional challenges. We're still, both of us are still going to have to work against corporate lobbyists, you know. Correct. But taxing and spending, I can point to stats, the, the, the WIC spending, food stamps, that this stuff brings people out of poverty. It just snap brings them right out of poverty. Housing investments brings them out of poverty. Infrastructural projects brings them out of poverty. That works, you know? But then it's like, I mean, I'm not opposed to people starting small businesses. For now, we'll get you all come time. But um, <laughs> uh, conceptually, I mean, I'm not no, opposed to it. It's just, I don't know if that fixes. Right. We are both against the monopoly. I started that way. I'm against cartels. I'm against monopolies. They're a bad idea. Mine is voluntary. That's the difference. Yours is get the government at the top to stop punching people. And what I think is the government can't win that war. It doesn't want to win that war, and it can't win that war. Corporations will beat them because they're the same people. They're lovers. They're in the same bed. They're not gonna, you're not going to throw your, your husband or your wife out of the bed. You're just not going to do it. That's not how it works. I think we have to go the opposite way, which is voluntarily supporting the people who are smaller so they can come up and the Davids can beat the Goliaths. There are more, why would there are more Davids not, than there are Goliaths. Why would corporations not also fight back against that? Of course they would, but it's a whole lot easier. I don't know how, especially since what I'm advocating for could be done in a single bill. A single bill that, B, directly impacts yeah. Americans, that, C, they could directly see the rewards from, and, D, isn't, like, gate-kept behind those with the entrepreneurial spirit to maybe one out of every hundred build a new business, whereas yours would be a collection of different pieces of legislation of, uh, yeah. revolving around small business empowerment, which would, B, yeah. not be immediately visible to or affect most Americans, and, C, at the end of the day, would only lead to a select few out of every neighborhood actually being able to start a small business, and, D, it would oppose the corporate interests anyway.
I, I just, I don't know. I just, I like taxes, you know? They're Mine shiny. is a cultural change that I think is long-term and will actually work in the long-term. That's what I believe. Because once you start finding options, here's what happens in corporate world. I know I've been in corporate world a lot of my life. I've been, I, I'm one of those trainers and consultants and coaches too. I do all that stuff. And what will happen is as the small business begin to grow, you will have defections, lots of them. And what is my example of this? female entrepreneurs in the 90s and 2000s. The glass ceiling was serious for them and they couldn't get past it. So what did they do? They saw opportunities and they went there and they started a small business that began to grow. It's a bad reason. I wish that wasn't the reason why they did it. The glass ceiling's bullshit, but I'm just saying that's what happened. And they went off and did their own things. You, you will find defections. That's what you'll find. Yeah, but did this fix the wealth gap between men and women or was it just like a couple of women? Yes. Entrepreneurship doesn't... What happened is you did see a lot more women in power because of it. It didn't fix the wealth gap, but there was absolute improvement. You find more women in the workforce. You found more women actually making right. more money. Women that in the workforce. I'm, I'm totally in favor of women in the workforce. But yeah. entrepreneurship, I don't know how that fixes these issues. At the end of the day, if you start a small business, which in America is defined mm -hmm. as a business with less than 500 employees, but obviously most small businesses aren't. I use, I use SBA, which is under 50. Under 50. Fine. That's fine. Probably more descriptive, more, more accurate to what we're thinking of anyway. Um, yep. When we're talking about a small business, we're talking about an owner and then a bunch of employees. I feel like if anything, we're just replicating. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, or we could do worker co-ops, which would be the route that sure. I would go. 100%. Okay. Well, wait, hold on. Okay. You're red pilling me here. Hold on. I'm swallowing the pill. So if we're talking about my, my issue here. I didn't know I was, I don't even know what red pilling is, but I'm glad I did it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So oh, it's a good thing. Okay. The problem that I have, and I, I'm not backing off the tax thing, but the problem that I have with the concept of promoting small business entrepreneurship are three. First of all, I don't like small business owners that much more than I like big business owners, uh, because ultimately the systems of exploitation remain the same, albeit at a different scale. Um, second of all, they don't meaningfully impact like generational poverty. And third of all, I don't know how well they compete against big corporations in a way which is emboldening to the consumer and to the American market. In now I, I got to write this down. Hold on. You gave me three things. I've, I, I, now you're making me think. Hold on. <laughs> but when you but, said they don't help poverty, it doesn't, it doesn't address poverty. Small businesses still involve um, uh, uh, labor exploitation. And exploitation. They're less efficient than big businesses. But if, less we, efficient. Okay. if we're talking worker cooperatives here, though, Mm -hmm. then I don't know. See, the reason I like worker cooperatives is because I like democracy. I like, um, I like any system where people who work within it are represented in its leadership. Any system, sure. I just, I love it. So if we're talking worker cooperatives, which are generally speaking, a fairly stable and robust form of economic organization, we could be talking about the government subsidizing systems where people cooperatively form economic opportunities for themselves and their peers. And that could be among other things, I think, a really good start to a culture of collective ownership in this country. I would be on board with that. Well, let me cover three of them and then, and then the co-op collective piece. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing is, I think entrepreneurship absolutely helps with generational um, poverty because you're able to transfer something down to somebody else. There's an idea of owning your business, owning your life, owning your work. And if you look at so many people who came to this country as immigrants, many of them began to grow. And one of the, 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 the example I'll give you, it, it is, it's definitely um, uh, just one example. 
But it's, do you remember, I don't know if you saw, Killer Mike did a, had a Netflix special, and he talked about trying to survive in Atlanta with only Black-owned businesses. And Atlanta, as you probably know, is, is a heavily Black-populated city. And so he tried to live, uh, and he couldn't do it, not even a day. And then he actually made this statement, and I do not advocate for this statement. I'm just telling you what he said. All right. He said, there were advantages to segregation. At least you had to have Black businesses because you couldn't go to the white ones. So there had to be a black shoemaker and a black lawyer and a black diner and a black hotel because you couldn't go to the white ones. I'm not advocating for that. I'm just telling you what he said. And the point being, if you look at so many families, when they have moved out of poverty, many of the times it's, it goes two generations. The first one is some type of entrepreneur. Then the next is some kind of professional. The next generation is some kind of entrepreneur. Next generation is some kind of professional. That is a common trend throughout poor communities. So I do think that statistically, when you have more people owning businesses in smaller communities, you find better communities. I remember when I was a kid, you know, in the Bronx, I look now, no, not, almost nothing that's in my old neighborhood is owned by people in the neighborhood. It's all owned by people outside who have bought something inside, who purchased it and now own it. it they don't really own it in there anymore. It's, it's a different issue. So I do think it does help. It's not a panacea, right? It's not a cure-all, but I think it does help. Second, the exploitation. Yes, I think it's exploitation in all businesses. It does happen. Of course it does. But the difference is, if you're looking at a local level, if you're a guy, gal, I'm going to say guy because I'm going to talk about prison. If you're a guy who did time, right, and you did a year in jail, and you're coming out now and you're a felon, what are the odds of you getting hired by a big business? Slim. Background checks. No thank you. Not going to happen. Who's going to give you that chance? The guy whose dad went to school, you know, your, his dad went, you know, you went to school with the, with the guy and his dad runs the business, mom runs the business. That's where you find that small businesses, while they do exploit too, they also give people a chance. And that's the thing big businesses rarely do. Sometimes, but rarely. Very often, small businesses give people a chance and something else. A small business allows the person who's in trouble to see somebody who's like them be successful. And that image has value. Can I tell you how much image that has? I don't know. But it does have value. So there is some value in that, even though you're right. There's also exploitation. When it comes to a big business, you are only a number. That's it. Nothing else. I've hired and fired people. You are only a number. Small business, during the 2009 crash, I got my ass kicked and I had to fire my two employees. It still bothers me to this day. It still bothers me because it wasn't their fault. It was mine because I was failing. And I can't stand the fact that I, that I, and this is now 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and it still bothers me. That's small business. Big business, you're a number buy, there's your pink clip, pack your trash. And the last thing is, yes, they're less efficient. I agree. There's no way around that. But many people, they get their chance there and innovation often begins there. Innovation often begins in a small business. So I think there's value to that no matter what. The co-op piece. This, I think, more than anything else is a cultural issue. The reason why co-ops often struggle is because the finance industry doesn't believe in them. The finance industry thinks they don't work, so they don't finance them. So now you, you have to get the finance industry to go, oh, this can work. The current systems of co-ops that we have now, I don't know if it's what you think of, they're not really worker co-ops, but they're kind of co-op-ish. Things like, um, credit unions, things like that, which are co-op-ish, those types of things, they still have a hierarchy when it comes to decision-making. There's really no real democracy in those current co-ops. 
And that's what the finance industry sees now. And they're okay with that. As long as their guy's in charge and they can put pressure on their guy, finance is, is pretty much okay with that. So I think co-ops aren't bad. I'm not against co-ops at all. My issue is you have a cultural issue. I mean, I guess the closest thing to a co-op now we can find in New York is the co-op buildings, co-ops versus uh, condos. Co and almost everyone I know who's in a co-op would rather be in a condo, but they go in a co-op because it's cheaper. So they go into the co-op. For those who don't know, in, 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 if you have a condo building, you actually own the physical apartment. In a co-op, you actually don't own the apartment. You own the business that owns the apartment building. And a condo, you have more of your own rights because you own the actual property. In a co-op, it's all done by a board. It's far more democratic. And people can decide what to do with your property and those types of things, who you can rent to, those types of things. Most people don't like the co-op answer. They take it because it's cheaper but they'd rather have a, a condo. And I think it's about two to one in New York City, co-op to condo, I think. Did I, did I touch your issues? I hope I didn't no, ramble yeah, too no, much. I, I, no, I did. So there are a couple of points here um, with regards to small business. Um, so when I, when I said exploitation, I meant in the Marxian sense of surplus labor, which is something that can't really be addressed vis-a-vis -vis scale and proximity to um, uh, the, the person for whom you work. Um, well, this is, I think, maybe a little bit subjective, I think that the ways in which um, workers get shafted by small business owners are different than the ways they get shafted by big business owners. You may be a number in a big business, but small business owners tend to be a lot more with the, uh, hey, I'll pay you next week, or the, hey, you know, mm. you've worked here two years, you think you could just stay an extra hour. A lot more of that, you know, your ability to capitalize on the emotional relationship. Whereas if you've been working at a Target, you're, you're manager, you're never, ever going to feel any emotional obligation to that manager. Yeah. But seeing a small business owner like hunched over a computer in the back office, and you can see them trying to make the bills come together, you see a person like that, there's a way greater threshold for exploitation. I guess the issue that I have with this, so... With So when we're talking like broadly and economically, we know that big businesses are more economically efficient in the sense that they are capable of producing more products and services with lower sure. overhead costs per unit. Um, that's just the economy of scale. It's inevitable. There's yep. no getting around that. Franchises have half addressed that because an individual mm -hmm. can own a franchise and throw a personal flair in. But at the end of the day, it's not really their business. It's right. they own a chunk of a bigger business. Um, right. which I, I don't know if it necessarily fixes the problem entirely. The main problem that I have is that this, I, I say this somewhat derogatorily, but I think that's accurate, bootstrapping mentality when it comes to addressing poverty has never seen the same kind of returns that you see with massive government investment, you know? Uh, when it comes to what do we want to do about like inner city economic problems, the solutions that have worked have always involved government expenditures, have always involved tax credits. Biden recently cut child poverty in half by introducing that, God, what was it, that like three or, or three and a half thousand dollar refundable child tax credit um, that you can refund even if you don't pay taxes at all. I mean, that's incredible. Um, stuff like that has measurable impacts on poverty, but the entrepreneurship model in the best case, the best case that you can get is an individual from a community, maybe one out of five, maybe one out of 10, is sure. able to become a small business owner and the rest of them remain employees. And with the way small businesses work right now and with how hard they're being squeezed 
by big businesses, it's not like they're going to be able to pay higher wages than those big businesses either. Maybe marginally, maybe by a very small amount, but not significantly. Small businesses just aren't doing that well. I'm okay with subsidizing small businesses to some extent because I like neighborhoods being personal. That's the thing that I really agree with. I resonate with that even, even as a socialist, even if we're talking cooperatives or decommodified industry, you know? The idea that you can go to Denver, uh, Chicago, uh, Pensacola, uh, and Humboldt and see the same franchises in all four is exhausting. And nobody <laughs> likes that. People like local culture. Small businesses are Absolutely. how you build local culture. And I support them for that reason. And I am in favor of tax credits for small businesses, without a doubt. Though I do think there's going to be some pushback from big corporations on that. I mean, we'll see how difficult it is. Um, at the end of the day, I think I'm in favor with, with this program that you push as a supplement to certain economic problems, but not as a replacement for uh, greater taxation and for social service programs. I think that in accordance, the two of them can work well, in part because uh, opening a small business in an impoverished community isn't going to mean much if nobody in that community has the money to spend at that small business. Whereas if you have people receiving tax credits up the wazoo, they can spend it at those small businesses. It circulates through the economy, small business pays taxes, and at the end of the day, the state gets its hand back, but not before it's run through 80 people on the way. That velocity of money is very important because when money goes into big corporations, what does it do? It go you cash register, some guy in an armored car picks it up, it goes to a yep. bank somewhere, and then it spends 10 years in the Cayman Islands. No yeah. velocity. It does nothing. I agree. So Small businesses, you spend yep. five there, you pick it up, owner spends that five on an ice cream, ice cream guy, he works in a stall, he does da, da, da. it makes its way through yep. 80 times, the GDP explodes, everyone gets to use the money, and it stays circulating. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, yeah. I'm agreeing with you on those pieces. I am. The, the issue is, again, all I'm saying is, I think there's other ways of giving people more money, right? I think if, again, my point is, if I can get corporations to pay for something, that they want to pay for anyway, then that's less taxation of my population, in which case then, you know, that no tolls on the bridges, right? Now, instead of paying three bucks for a subway ride, it's a buck 50. That's, a, that's, a, that's three bucks a day somebody's saving on a subway, one for the each way. I think you can get the same thing, cash in the hands of the people on the ground, which I agree, that's what I want. I want cash in the hands of people on the ground to get that commerce going so we don't have to raise the taxes anymore. I think there are ways you can do that. My other, my other concern in this is if you're, if you're doing the, the way the federal government does it, and, and here's my issue. I like your concept of we can just give them money. I'm actually not against that kind of bill. You're going to say, you know what? Write a check. Fine. Let's. We, we had a problem. Still at the economy. I don't love it, but I'm okay with it because I know we do it anyway. Big what check. I'm not okay with is the way we're doing it now, which is we're going to have a $2 trillion bill, but we're not taking $2 trillion, dividing it by 200 million households and writing a check for 10000 each. If we were doing that, I'd actually be okay with that. But I'm not okay with we're going to do a $2 trillion bill and we're going to fund government with it. And we're going to fund this with it. And we're going to fund that with it. If you're going to do a bailout, just do a bailout. If that's the answer, take $2 trillion, divide it by 200 million households. Or have many, I think they're 200 million. Whatever the number of households there are, divide it by that. There's the money. Go spend it. Enjoy. But what then, if the government... as they spend it, now they pay taxes on that. And that funds the government. What if the government is capable of providing um, services and products 
uh, more efficiently with the wealth that it takes from that infrastructure bill than it ever could just by giving money out. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, for example, um, it costs more in general, like total, the total amount of wealth expended for a person to break their leg and go to the emergency room and have to pay there, you know, however many thousands they have to pay, than it does for the government to cover if they're a recipient of Medicare or Medicaid. Um, they break their leg, they go to the same hospital. The ability to tap into government funds there ends up streamlining the process. You see the same thing with food stamps as well, because the government, when, when you the food stamps go out, the government is not paying like grocery store prices on the food that, that you're buying with it, you know? The government is benefiting from its own economy of scale. We're all just individuals on our own, but the government is capable with its money of influencing a lot more good. Uh, housing development would be another one, you know? You wanna, say you want to invest uh, one billion in like housing development in the suburbs of Detroit. That's great, you know, you can do a lot of good there. But if you split that one billion up amongst like all the people in Detroit and you were like, hey, go, you know, if you need housing, good luck, you know, I don't know if that would solve the problem in the same way. It would, it would dissolve, but we need targeted solutions. And I think that's why they streamline where this money goes in these, in these big bills, you know? Then I, I get, I get what you're saying. You're saying that it, you know, government can do it better. My, my answer is I don't think government ever has done it better. We can I go back to back in Washington. Rare you know? that it does it better. What about so, that? Back to back, all right? You and me back to back, all right? Shoulder to shoulder. You're fighting for small businesses. I'm fighting for taxes. Nary do we make eye contact, but we're, we're working together anyway, okay? It's like the scene from the movie. You know what I'm talking about? I love it. I love it. Do we both have two guns or what? What do we have? Two not pistols each? No, not, I disavow. Not in Washington, we don't. No, we don't. We are uh, yes. got our not finger guns out, okay? Now, I've Absolutely. actually been accosted by Secret Service before in Washington. Um, very, very wow. jumpy, these guys, you know? I was recruited by the CIA, so I don't know if that's the same thing or not. They're probably no, also pretty no, jumpy. I, I did say no, but yes, I was recruited by the CIA. No, um, I guess what I, wh where I'm going with this is I do think that we can tap government in a certain way. Let me give you my idea to make better health care. You talked about health, let me give you my idea for this. You have people on Medicaid, Medicare. Actuaries right now already know. They have you in a box on about how much money you're going to spend per year, depending upon where you fit in their actuarial box, age and this they know. Mm -hmm. For the sake of argument, I don't know what your number is, but your number is $3,000 per year. They know you're probably going to spend that if you're on, you're on government-funded um, uh, health care. So they give you a debit card. And they said, there's 3000 bucks. You got it on a debit card. Spend it any way you want, anywhere you want. But you just spend 3000 bucks. Now, what happens if you run out of 3000 bucks? Well, you fall back to regular Medicaid. It's okay. You, can still, you still get it. The, 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 the you know, safety net is still there. But you have an option of just taking this card and swiping it at any place you want so that you can get medical help. What will most people do? Most people will change nothing because most people don't. But there will be some early adopters who will say, you know what? So I can go to the cool doctors in New York City? Yeah, you can. Just go there and swipe. No, nothing. Just It's like a credit card. You don't have to have insurance, nothing. Just go there and swipe. And you can do it if you want to. What will happen? What I think will happen, and I think you can find this to be true, it happened, I think it was in Oklahoma, I forgot where, there's a local success story on it, and I'm hoping we could bring it to a state. And I would hope to bring it to New York State if I could to take care of some of the damages that we pay in our Medicare and Medic uh, Medicaid damages we pay in New York State. It's over $60 billion every single year. So now what will happen? The two-tiered system that we have right now, particularly in New York City, again, I don't know, I speak for where I am. 
in New York City right now, it's a two-tiered system. You have Medicaid, Medicare, anything like that. There are a level of doctors who will take it. And if you go to one of their facilities, there's two doctors maybe and probably four administrators. And they care more about photocopying your stuff than about who you are. They don't remember you fill out forms every single time. It's a disaster. Your appointment's at 3 o'clock. You get seen at 4.30. You have to see you for 10 minutes and you walk away. That's a common occurrence in most people who do that with that in the city. Then it's the second level, which is the people who are wealthy. Those people don't, don't their doctors don't take any insurance. Those doctors, you go when you write them a check, so have a credit card. In that case, you show up at 2 o'clock. You're seen latest 2.05. The doctor actually talks to you and says things like, okay, so how are you sleeping? How are you eating? What are your stress levels? They spend 20 minutes, 35 minutes with you sometimes. Why? They got paid. You swapped, you swapped your credit card or you gave them a check. Now, once doctors see that they can just get that without all the admin, because in that doctor's house, a doctor's facility, there's five doctors and two administrators, not two and five. It's reversed. So they're going to start saying, wait a minute. So I can get government money if I just lower my prices to get people here? Yeah. They'll start marketing to that type of person. And you'll start getting people who understand what good healthcare is about. And now poorer people will be able to experience better healthcare. Well, that should bring all the prices down and give everyone an opportunity to start seeing what good healthcare is about. Sure, but Not just healthcare, it's enough. We know what good healthcare looks like. All you have to do is go to any of the government-run healthcare systems and the social democracies that we have in Europe, and they blow us out of the water. I feel like healthcare is one of the perfect examples of my point. That's an industry where commodification doesn't seem to work too well because uh, there there isn't um, what's the term again the um, the uh, 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 demand flexibility. Ch chat, help me. The demand flexibility. The um, the 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 price elasticity. Thank you, chat. The elasticity um, uh, doesn't really function that well. You want to have a good elasticity of demand for a commodity because you want people to want it less if it costs more and vice versa. But there's no limit to how much people will pay for good health care because the alternative is in many cases death. So for that reason, um, the inelastic uh, demand for health care means that the market system doesn't function too well with it. All of the best healthcare systems the world around are run by governments where they just take in tax money, they put it into the system, they pay their doctors, they pay their administrators, and that's all they have. Like, that's, that's where there it are, settles. There are two issues that we have to worry about here. Well, wait, the I just, one there is, was one other thing I wanted to say, because okay. um, I, I actually had a question. Maybe you can, because I have to go soon, because we're running on the two-hour mark. So I wanted to, to ask, hypothetically, I think that everyone deserves to eat food. Seems important, you know? I've never tried to go without it. Feel like I'd have an issue. Um, how would you feel, ignore the practicality, conceptually, what if we have our grocery marts, but we also have a couple per city, you know, just every once in a while, we have these government-run, like, food bodegas, and they run basically like grocery stores, they're paid for by your taxes, and you just get a stipend of food from there if you come in, you know? You have your SSN, you run on in there, oh, you haven't been here this month? Okay, how much do you got? Oh, okay, you have 27 points of food you can get. You can run around, you can get potatoes, olive oil, have your fun. And it's free. You just get your monthly whatever amount you want. Do you think that something like that would be a good idea? Because the benefit conceptually would be that the government can buy up all these foods at way lower prices than we could buy them from at a grocery store. So by therefore, our tax dollars are being spent more efficiently than our dollars could be spent if we were to just go to a commercial outlet. Would you be in favor of a concept like that? Maybe not in practice, but an idea like that. Only if it wasn't Monopoly. So I mean, if there were other uh, 
like corporate grocery stores around that works too or even nonprofits okay. or even nonprofits if i have to go to the government it's going to be a monopoly and it's going to give me bad service cuz that's how it works but when you actually have other op opportunities things begin to get better they just do i mean even yang yang's running for governor i'm the governor for for mayor of my city and he's about ubi he's about all types of government interference even he says look when you have monopoly not so good. Elon Musk, we have Monopoly. Not so good. Lots of people talk about Monopoly being bad. So if you're saying, would I be open to an idea of, of a government supporting the poor in general? I think if you're talking about the any people who couldn't afford it, they could come go get yeah, food anyone for could free. Just go on, yeah, just go on by. As long as you're a citizen, you can go ahead. and You know what? Not even if you're a citizen. Just we'll, we'll find a way. We're, we're in concept land over here. But you can, you can get your, your monthly allotment. If I, if I thought there was a way we could do it, I would. And you know how I would actually do it if I could? Hmm. And I know it will drive you crazy. Hmm. I would sponsor it. That's how I would get rid of tax base. I would sponsor it. I would allow the, the, the local developer who's building housing in the area to sponsor it. Throw me an extra 10 grand a month. You can sponsor it. It's Jones Developers Food Pantry or whatever you want to call it, food store, whatever you want to call it. And it's free food. If you have the, the government can still run it, right? The government can still run it. They still, you know, you get your points from the government. But again, if I have a way of getting someone else to pay for this versus taxes, I'm always going to go that route. And I then mean, if I can also then support local communities from doing it, I would also like, I would like the person who is in trouble, who's in food insecurity, to not have to go to the government, but be able to go to the government. Right. Well, but I'm not talking about monopolization. Go, I'm just saying it's an option in these cities. I, I mean, I feel okay like at this it. point, we might as well just sell ad space on every single square inch of government property, right? I mean, um, like, we can, we can have the, the White House with, like, uh, you know, with the, the Riot Games logo emblazoned I'm on in. the front. I, I mean, you can GameStop, be it. So, wait, that's what it is. We didn't, even get the, house. we didn't even get the touch on that. But just, just so my opinions know, because this is more of a, a qualitative point. But I would I would kill myself if I lived in a society with a precedent like that. Unironically, in real life, in a video game, Twitch, in a video game, but in real life, hypothetically, in such a society, I really don't like commodification just in general. And the idea of every square inch of public land and space being plastered with advertisements rather than just taxing corporations sounds dystopian to me. You know, I, I actually think the opposite. I think that it wouldn't be that bad because we'd pick and choose the things that matter. And if you had too much, it wouldn't be valuable anymore. Right? If, if everything is plastered, then everything becomes invisible. It all becomes, and marketers know this, it all becomes decoration. Then it doesn't become that's an actual what happened. marketing. That's what already happened. So, if you walk in is, any so major inner city area, every, pretty much everything, you. apartment blocks have like ad, like signs vertically that stick out from them the banners hanging yes. from streetlights cars have Which ads is on them. why corporations are happy to do something else and do something different that's the reason why because of what you just said they absolutely will do other things they're open to other ideas because of what you just said i would just the i would rather just tax them than have them paint the planet i just don't like i don't know it just feels like the long-term consequence of this is is devastating we already know there are psychological consequences to the over prominence of ad space whether that be yeah. while watching digital media or walking through physical areas and i feel like there's something almost priceless about a beautiful like inner city district that we have essentially commodified and sold for pennies on the dollar to uh to corporations often not even for government 
profit so that they can use those tax dollars for something good, usually just because we have very lax laws when it comes to how thoroughly you're allowed to decorate the, uh, you know, the sky. Yeah, we, we've exploited our poor communities in this zone I completely agree. But I think there's the, the way I feel is better is by having more ownership in, in general, right? The, the pieces I brought up, and I'll, I know we're short on time. I'll touch quickly your healthcare piece and then Mount the last Rushmore. piece in ownership. You can have all of Mount Rushmore. See we that? We can make that. Ads, um, it'll look I like think a. The Native Americans might be angry about that one. A graffiti so, wall, okay? There's they the may whole not thing. Like it. Oh, we'll see. The Native Americans be angry though. No, they um, don't like. I don't think Native Americans like that. I think they might appreciate. I know. They probably want that back. They wouldn't want me to put some freaking McDonald's sign on it. They'd want it back. Hmm. I'll so, have to ask. Well, I'll ask the tribal it. trust. Okay. We'll, we'll find. There we out. go. We'll see if they'll deal with it. My 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 thing on healthcare, as I was going to bring up, is right now in most of those European countries, what you actually have is a two tiered system. Also, like you have in New York City, the wealthy have supplemental insurance or rich people insurance that it's it's often and i'm not against that idea right but we have to realize that that's going to happen here too if we have a medicare for all or something like that one of the reasons why so many of the wealthy people don't care about medicaid for all whatever the case may be is they're not going to use it they're going to use whatever form that they want to use they're going to have supplemental insurance or whatever the case may be or just pay in cash as they often do so that is my worry about you know a, a system like that that the problem is the customer becomes the government and the customer isn't the individual. And we don't have a good culture of this. And I go back to culture. A lot of things you're talking about, our culture just fights against. We don't like this. We fight against it. We don't have a culture of that. The Scandinavian countries have a different culture when it comes to being communal. They're also smaller. I mean, all of Scandinavia is like Texas. I mean, that's like all of Scandinavia. It's like 5 million people in, what, 5 million in Norway, 5 million in Finland, 5 million in Denmark, 10 million in, in Sweden. I don't know how I know that. But anyway, that's about what it is. So it's about 25 million people. It's the same as Texas. So they also have a more homogenous society. Finland is the most homogenous, I think, except maybe Japan. Japan and Finland are two of the most homogenous societies on the planet. So when you have those types of environments, it's easier. I'm not saying your plan can't work. I'm saying you're going to find a lot of pushback and culturally, it simply isn't who we are. We destroyed ourselves by linking um, 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 health insurance to our businesses after World War II because of our stupid government intervention. If we hadn't have done that, I think we'd be in a better spot. Well, corporations so, lobbied for that, to be fair. That wasn't like the, the will. So I, I just want to say, just as a counter to that, diverse neighborhoods are actually more likely to push for unionization. And um, yeah. social welfare programs and like civic projects are more common and more advocated for in more diverse neighborhoods. I feel like if there's any like um, any like cultural divide thing that like really fucks America up, it's probably the rural urban divide, which transposes relatively yes. well under the Republican Democrat divide. I don't know Absolutely. if like communities that have racial diversity have problems with policy because of that diversity. It's usually economic problems stem from like longstanding issues and then yeah. it gets sort of bled into a bunch of other things. Um, uh, that's I something agree. that I want, I, we can get more data on that. Um, yeah, so, okay, we're on the hour now. Uh, I actually really, really appreciated this conversation, uh, the time that you took to, uh, to share with me. It's not often that I get to talk about these ideas. I appreciate it and I, and I hope that, um, Maybe maybe one day we'll be fighting on the same team. I hope so. Back to back. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> there uh, we go. Yes. I appreciate it. I, I'm really glad we got this together. It was a great conversation. Uh, guys, don't forget to check out The Sharp Way. That's sharp with an E. 
Uh, you can just Google that, and uh, if you enjoyed this, please check out discord.gg slash bluepolitics. Vosh, as always, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I had a wonderful time, seriously. Uh, thank, um, thank you again, uh, Mr. Sharp. Please have a wonderful day. I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, we'll, we'll get Mount Rushmore, okay? We're going to do it. I don't care who's mad. I think everyone will be mad, all right? We're going to make that the most garish neon graffiti spot uh, in there all of human history. Sounds good to me. Take all care, right, okay? Frank. Good seeing you. Likewise. Bye.